Hello everyone and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today we are reviewing Star Trek Prodigy Season 1, Episode 8, Time Amok. Like always, I'm your host Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies. Starting with Cal Jones, how you doing, man? You know what? I am excited to be here as usual. Glad to talk as always with you guys. So yeah, can't wait to get into it. Also on the podcast, we have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, man? I am doing good, man. Doing good. i just excited to be here and spend some time talking about this episode. Yeah, for sure, man. It should be an interesting discussion. Just as long as we don't run amok. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows with this crew? So we're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Prodigy Time Amok. Time Amok was written by Nikhil S. Jehem, while the episode was directed by Olga Elnova and Sung Shin. When the USS Protostar is fractured in time by an anomaly, Hologram Janeway must synchronize the disjointed crew and save their ship before it destructs. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand the battle station. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Like always, we go to Cal Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious. Sometimes comedic. You never know. Cal, what do you have for us this week, man? So I think I'm not going to be comedic tonight. I think I'm going to be very wise and thoughtful. How about that? Mm, let's go. So my beats for this episode are, or is, or whichever the way you want to interpret it. So I guess I'm getting comical, but back to wise and thoughtful. The answer to this episode's riddle can be found not in a single character, but amongst them all. And I believe the best of Prodigy is yet to come. All right. Good stuff. John, what are your high level thoughts of the episode? <sighs> um, It was a good episode, man. I just, you know, sometimes time can be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. true that you hate time stuff. <laughs> Where did you hear that? I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Maybe you said it. <laughs> But, you know, outside of that, guys, really, if, we, if we're going to have a time episode, this is how I want it done. It was not overly complicated, but it was very technical. So I loved it. Kyle, do you have any additional thoughts before I give mine? No other than I want to thank Jonathan for what he just said, because he proved my inner monologue with myself correct. Because my bet with myself was Jonathan is going to like this because it just wasn't your usual time episode. I didn't know why you would like it, but I thought you would like it. So I'm glad you proved me internally right. Oh, I'm glad to help, sir. It's like you know me. That, exactly. <laughs> well, I definitely feel like for me, they put an interesting spin on the whole time dilation, time space thing, which I thought was very, very interesting. My first time watching it, I felt like some of the logic didn't fit, but you know, of course, watching it again, they pretty much checked every box to make the logic for what happened in the episode really work. So for that alone, kudos to the writers for doing such an excellent job of writing su such a, like you said, episode that could be confusing and difficult, but they kind of laid it out there for us to to consume. And it wasn't too difficult, too confusing. And I think it works. I think it works. But it also didn't feel like they spoon fed it either. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think this is an episode that Doctor Who could look up to. 
<laughs> exactly. I know. Seriously, all jokes aside, absolutely. It was well written. Well, I was about to say acted, but I guess it was because you had voice actors. But it was it, it just it did not seem like a kid show to me. It seemed like it could hold its own against any sci fi out there. You know, Kyle, I, I can't disagree at all. Like, I, I was thinking about that watching this episode and kind of reflecting back on the others. And like you literally I could see these same exact storylines being put in place with live action characters and not notice a difference. So it was great. Number one. And number two, I appreciate it. my problem with time episodes. I, I tend to overthink things. And when you're dealing with time episodes, you can kind of tend to go down a rabbit hole. You just can't get out of. And I didn't find that here. Totally agreed. And I'm really starting to appreciate the performance of Kate Melgaru. It's like I can I can barely distinguish this hologram J-Oil on this cartoon <laughs> from the real one, which is just weird to me. It kind of freaked me out as this episode went on. I'm like, man, I'm really is really starting to blur the lines between live action Janeway and this, you know, this cartoon version that we're watching or the animated, I should say, version that we're watching. So I'm really starting to appreciate the performances there. Man, you know, it's it's funny you say that. Like, it's it's great that we all we all kind of getting the same things from this. But it's like a moment in this episode where Janeway was talking and I just kind of, you know, purposely looked away and just listened because I. You know, I just kind of wanted to see. And really, it's like you're watching a Voyager episode. Yeah. Like my wife kind of she was at the computer. She wasn't watching the show. She didn't know what I was watching. But she like just quickly just said, hey, you watching Voyager? <laughs> I'm like, no, it's the new one. <laughs> just to add to what you guys just said, another testament to, you know, Kate Mulgrew and the fact of let's just go back and think of how much just on a minute scale of our own understanding, how much our voices have changed as we've evolved as podcasters over the years, you know, about how we present our voice from when we very, very first started. Compare that to the person, Kate Mulgrew, going back and making sure that her mannerisms are matching the same vocal tics that she did as a person, as a, you know, acting as a visual, you know, herself physically acting, but now making sure she mirrors that, what, 30 years later? Yeah. And it even makes me wonder how closely they're going back to watch old Kate McGrew footage during Voyager, because even some of the movements of the hologram just seems so her and just just an excellent job all around. And, you know, if you think back, I was never a big fan of this show, which everybody was. But that Orange is the New Black. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like I, I did watch like briefly an episode when she was like when she was kind of the focus and like I just completely different character. So, yeah, for her to be able, you know, you would normally look at this episode of, of Prodigy and say, well, she's so good because that's when she was in Voyager. She was just playing who she is. But you can't really say that because she was totally different in Orange is the New Black, like mannerisms and all. So it's just, again, like everybody's saying, kudos her for being able to pull it off, especially this far later. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed on that 
Orange is the New Black. She was a totally different character. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get into the episode. Training Officer Hologram Janeway proposes a team building exercise for our ragtag crew of the USS Protostar. Enter the riddle of the fox, chicken, and grain. I had never heard this before. So was the answer to the riddle of how to get all three across the river in the boat apparent to you guys? Because really, I it sounds like something I should know, but I had never heard of this before. <laughs> so I did Google the answer because I'd never heard of it before. But actively watching it, you know, I'm thinking team building exercise is really pretty simple. Why not everybody just get on the boat? I mean, I know exception of like rock getting on the boat, they probably would sink it. But yeah. Like, why don't everybody just grab an item and secure it and go across? <laughs> yeah, that's one way to do it. <laughs> but I mean, if you Google the riddle, the answer, the answer is actually designed if it was just one person trying to do this. Yeah. But with three people, I'm just like, just go across or just have two people stay and guard the other two items and go back. So what is the answer? I have to know. I'm curious. <laughs> so the answer is take the chicken over first. Go back and bring the grain, but instead of leaving the chicken with the grain, bring the chicken back with you and get the fox and leave the chicken there. Take the fox over to the grain, then come back and get the chicken. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think the whole point of it was that they'd have to think outside of the box to try to figure out the solution. And of course, they were all trying to do it a different way, being off, not on the same page as, as they were in this this early part of the episode. So before we can really get to the answer on the holodeck, all Hades breaks loose. Dow, he, he kind of opens up about to Janeway about lying about being cadets, which was it just me. Cause I just kind of thought that she knew it all along, but she was just going along with their lies just to, because she had no one else basically is what kind of what I was thinking. But did you guys think she really thought they were Starfleet cadets? No. No. Like, and I just kind of, I mean, if she didn't, if she honestly did not, then I discredit her and her <laughs> intelligence. Like, I, hologram or not, like, I, there's certain clues here that just should have been blatantly obvious. Yeah. If if she did not know it as the hologram, then we're going to call her henceforth sort of Janeway, because <laughs> there's no way Catherine Janeway would not have known. I mean, that would be like a slap in the face to the character. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like she was indulging them. Also, we get this part that felt weird to me, but we get a reasoning by the end of the episode of Gwen trying to push Rock Talk to actually be the security officer, I guess because of her size. But but Rock Talk kind of wasn't having it, you know. But we get the reason by the end of the episode of, of maybe she was just trying to fit her into a part of the crew where she could be successful, you know. But hats off to her growth in this episode, though. Let me just say that before we get into it. You know, the last, ep the previous episode, I kind of was thinking that, like, like trying to figure out, you know, they're kind of becoming a crew and trying to put everybody in place. And in my mind, I just kind of had, you know, Jankum Pog as the engineer, uh, Zero as the science officer and Gwen. I kind of would have put Gwen as the security officer. Me too. Yeah. And then Rock Talk, I almost like maybe a counselor. 
I mean, she's maybe not emotionally strong enough to handle that, but at the emotionally trying times, she usually has the simple answer that helps. Yeah, I can agree with that. I can see the reasoning, too, for trying to put her into security just because of her sheer strength and size. Um, but but again, I'm glad she got a bit more growth in this episode, which we're going to get into. So meanwhile, while all this going on, we see that Damon Nandi has contacted <laughs> the diviner and has transmitted the location of the protostar to to the diviner in Dreadnought. I was kind of surprised by the whole beaming the program to the protostar. It felt kind of far fetched to me. Yeah, that's when you say it must be a show, a TV show. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was. I mean, I guess it could be possible. I mean, heck, you could if you can send the transmission, you can send data, and yeah, I mean, you just send a stream of data to the replicator, and there you go. Only four thousand light years away. Uh, well, true. But Steel. they did have access to the, you know, to the ship for ye- for however long they had it, years, months, days, m- weeks, whatever. So who's to say they didn't install something that made that data transfer like one on one, like walkie talkie or something? I don't know. Yeah. Now, what I did have a problem with was, you know, even if Dreadnought, I, I think that's what we're calling is Dreadnought. Dreadnought. Yeah, Dreadnought. Like, even if he, like, let's say all that's possible and he's replicated, I don't, it's far-fetched to think that he will be replicated with the same memories and, yeah, like, just emotional build. You know what I mean? I, I figured it would be just kind of like a mindless automaton. Uh, well, I guess there is a bit of precedent with the doctor being beamed um, back and forth during Voyager. But that was a hologram. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, it's just I data. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. And I appreciate them bringing up that it was actually they were months away from the protostar. I mean, we knew it was 4000 light years thereabouts, but they actually you know, laid it out to us that they're months away. So it kind of gives you a bit of the time difference it would take them to get there, which I appreciate it. Also, I mean, we thinking about the flashback. Well, not the flashback, but the data stream that they unlocked in the last episode it could be how Dreadnought got on the ship when Captain Chakotay was helming it. Mm. But then it still begs the question of how did they, I mean, they've had like, I, I, so that means the Federation had possession of the ship after the Diviner had possession of the ship. Or that or the Diviner worked on the ship. Oh. I mean, it it, it kind of leads me back to Kyle's theory that maybe... The diviner is some sentient offspring of the of the ship's AI or something. I don't know. It just it just seems like the diviner it has a bigger role in what the protostar is. Either he worked on it or something. It's it's some key element that he's a part of that ship. And we keep you know assuming that the diviner is a flesh and blood being, and for that matter, that Gwen is as well. Yeah. Yeah. And even Dreadnought says in this episode that that Gwen was a mistake, which, man, and I hope we don't have to wait until, of course, we got these announcements, which we don't have to go into now. But the second half, this isn't isn't even the second half of the season. The second half of the season is coming out like in October or something. Uh, No. Yeah. So uh, I just don't feel like we're going to get answers anytime soon, dude. (laughs) So the protostar enters a tachyon storm. 
and they mention tachyons and how it affects gravity. Jinkum Pog freaks out, heads toward the protostar drive, uh, knowing that gravity is the only thing keeping it stable. We have power fluxes, which causes each crew member to be thrown into their own temporal phases with each moving at different speeds when compared to normal space time. I think we had have had the off used formula of of time being played in the Star Trek in many different instances. But I, I do really like how they put each cast member in their own temporal phase or their own space time. And even on top of that, moving at different rates, which I thought was just an excellent, excellent idea. What are you guys' thoughts on that? I like it. I like it. Again, it you you it it didn't cause me to go down a rabbit hole. And maybe because it was not very technical, so I didn't have to overthink it again. But I I love the idea. I love the idea. Uh it but I I kinda got I didn't quite understand the waveform and how they explained it on the waveform. Cause in my head it was the further down the waveform the slower you would get, but it was more on the if you're in the valleys of the way, the dips of the waveform, you were slower. If you're on the peaks, you were faster. Yeah. If you look at the, if you, maybe we can pull up a steel, but the line in the middle is the normal space time and anything above the line moves faster. Anything below the line is slower. Uh, so turn your head. <laughs> yeah. They kind of did display it in a weird way. They could have just showed us the position that everybody was away from the protostar drive and just gave it to us that way. But they tried to explain it in this wave, which I guess made sense. But even for me, it was a little confusing when I first saw it. Can I throw in like just throughout trick? There's always an issue somewhere where they run into tachyons. And like in my mind, when they say tachyon, I immediately think there's going to be a time issue. But nobody ever thinks that until it happens, and then they trace it back to the tachyons. I'm like, but this is this is common knowledge and trick for me anyway. It should be for everybody else. But anyway, at least in this case, it wasn't Janeway who first discovered the tachyons. It was um, Gwen. Was it Gwen or Pog? It was Gwen and Jacob Pog. So yeah, they probably should have knew. But you know, maybe it got a little bit confusing because you had so many characters running at their own time space you know what i'm saying yeah that you yeah. had some that was sped up really fast some of them were sped up really slow and it wasn't just one set and one set and what this reminded me of whenever we whenever i was watching it was from the there is a or there is an episode from doctor who 2011 series called the girl who waited and without going into details, one character named Amy gets separated from the doctor and yeah. her husband. And you've got two variations of time happening. You know, one is experiencing time really slow. The others are experiencing time regularly. So different story, but same underlying premise. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. You should go watch, John. <laughs> it's kind of this, a similar concept, like Kyle said, but it's a really... Anybody listening, it's a really good episode. You know what this episode reminded me of? You remember the uh, Voyager episode where uh, I forget the guy's name. He He's pretty much sick of Janeway messing up the timeline. So he kind of went back in time and placed the explosive device and they recruited Seven of Nine to find it. 
Yeah. So they were kind of going from ship to ship. It was still Voyager, but in different time frames. And she took uh, Captain Janeway with her. So that just kind of reminded me of that particular episode. Yeah. Also very similar. There was an episode where the doctor went on this planet. That time moved really, really fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He lived out a whole life on that planet before he got beaten back up. That was the one where they were worshiping Voyager as a god for a while. Yeah. Yeah. They were only there for like, what, three days, but it seemed like they had been there for like a thousand years. (laughs) Good stuff. Now, can I can I just I I had there was one scene in this one that I just laughed like I lost my mind. It was just simple. But man, poor Murph, man. (laughs) (laughs) The most useless character in Star Trek. Mm-mm. No, I disagree. You know, when you guys were talking about who needs to be the ship's counselor, Murph. <laughs> the Murph needs to be jettisoned out the first airlock. <laughs> I cannot wait. I-, I want you to eat your words. I cannot wait until he saves every single or she, they, whatever, save everything on that ship. I, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. But like Jay was making progress and like, OK, I'm going to get to the next one. and We're going to make. It is. She like appears and it's like Murph and she's like, well, sh-. <laughs> she thought we were all were thinking. She said it like, oh, boy, <laughs> this is a waste of time. <laughs> Poor Murph, man. I, 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 Kyle, I really, I really want to see when he becomes important because he's just getting this back. But I love the, stick, the fact that he's not important. That's what I like yeah. about this character, <laughs> that he's so unassuming. And that's why I'm just like sitting here waiting for him to be because everything about him is so useless. So other Jar Jar. Than, yeah, well, no, hey, he makes, hey, 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 hey. <laughs> don't, 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 don't disrespect the Murph. <laughs> hey, that sounds like a new, uh, a new saying. Don't disrespect the Murph. Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. You got to make that viral. <laughs> oh, but a few of the things I appreciated early on, you know, we talk about each of these space time or, or phases that the temporal phases that they're in i really liked how they did subtle subtle things to make us realize that the time was moving fast and moving slow like in an instance where jane weighs in rock talks reality she throws the wrench and we see it going real real slow across across the room also when we first get the anomaly and and jenkin pog here's the the uh red alert going real real fast you know moving real real fast you would catch it you know on the second watching but first time i didn't even notice it but it's going real real fast and like the red alert lights are like stuck on because they're (laughs) blinking so fast that you can't really you know tell that they're going on and off so they did subtle things like that to play with the time that kind of underlined what was going on in each of these rallies which i thought was really really good yeah i did i did enjoy that even in rock's time it's like not only the wrench, but just like it, the whole scene seemed slower. If yeah. that makes sense, the conversation, the sense of urgency, it was all just slower. Yeah. So the protostar drive destabilizes, and the core breach quickly happens. And and you know again we find that in in Dick and Pollock's phase, a wave is moving really really fast. I do like how once Janeway started moving around, she started she gave an explanation of how she can jump around the anomaly because she's able to adjust her settings. So let's talk about Janeway and Rock Talk and how Rock Talk just shuts down on the notion 
that she'd have to repair the warp drive's containment field. Surprising? Mm-mm, not at all. No, 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 no. I got, I got, I got, I got it. I, I expected it. Yeah, and let's just move along through these. Zero, we expected him to be like the brains of the operation. He finds out pretty quickly what's going on. And I, I like how we start to get this notion here. It kind of picks up with Zero, where we get this notion of the information being passed along like a game of telephone, you know, except we have Janeway, who is a reliable source in this case, <laughs> which I thought was really cool. Um, what did you guys think of the idea of shoveling this information around and just we can jump into any part, any any character? Was there any reaction that you didn't expect or just any thoughts on pushing this information around and any of the characters, how they actually were receptive to it? So what I really liked about it was you you start out with this textbook cookie cutter, let's build a team, you know, whatever you want to call it. Let's go back to cookie cutter. It's that, you know, textbook style, let's build a team. That's what they were doing. But you put them then in a real world scenario where without even realizing they're being the team building exercise, they do that and accomplish it. So in regard I guess to your question, was there anything that just stood out, not necessarily amongst the characters until I have a question at the very end, but I'll wait maybe until you get there before I ask that question. But I just like the way that the writing took this, again, textbook, but then actually made it into the story. Yeah, definitely. John, was there one, I guess we can talk about either Dal or Gwen's instance that do you, either one of those you want to trying to dive into or anything about that you want to mention not necessarily dive into but let's just say dial's timeline which again i get it it was great but man he pissed me off like really <laughs> i thought he was great man i mean he was but i'm just and i know it was written to upset you at that moment like when janeway went into the quarters to get him to get him to start on the next project and he's like playing a video game which Teenager. I thought was funny. It was Snake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was pretty good. But he, that that just pissed me off. Like I said, it was designed for it. Uh, but I just have to say, it's. I think Gwen probably was my favorite, I don't know what you call it, timeline in this. Just because I think she was the only one that would have made the decision she made mm. to continue. Like, I don't see any of the other characters being mature enough. Yeah. Or smart enough or just emotionally strong enough to sacrifice the entire mission to save the mission. Yeah. Yeah. And sacrifice herself at the same instance. So it, I, I, I very much appreciated that. And the, and the fact that well, how she thought, again, one of those things, like, I don't know how technical it works out, but I mean, just the ingenuity of recording a log to tell Rock Top what to do next. Yeah. The only thing that I disagree about with what you said, I do think Zero might would have had the maturity, just didn't have the opportunity. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Kudos for Gwen for, you know, having that foresight to send the message, send all the schematics, even though it's honestly a, (laughs) you know, a huge shot in the dark that Rock Talk would be able to actually build the device. But but yeah, at least he had the foresight to to actually push that information along. And I guess confidence, confidence in Rock Talk to actually get it done. Well, the only thing I don't get, I don't understand. 
my assumption was, and maybe it happened and they just didn't show it, but my assumption, like, I don't see how they were transferring items from. So were they transferring items from one time to the other or were they just in each instance, they rebuilt the entire device? They were rebuilding it. Okay. Because the only time it really got rebuilt was, well, once Dow built it and then Gwen built it and then at the end, Rock Talk built it. So it did get rebuilt each time because Janeway was able to bring that information along. Okay. I didn't see it being rebuilt. It kind of looked like they were just like picking up on the same device after each session. Yeah, they did kind of skip over that, I guess, just to make the episode flow better. Right. But in Gwen's time, which is the one that's closest to normal space time, we do get, you know, the Dreadnought clone actually being able to be assembled and actually goes after her. Now, this is one of my favorite parts of the episode, especially when the Dreadnought clone actually talked like Captain Chakotay to counsel Janeway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my jaw was on the floor, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I want to hear that story. That, that's just... And then what was that that Janeway said? So you're the one wiped my memory. And he says, not exactly. Yeah. He says, close, but not quite. I'm like, that's, what? What uh, does that mean? <laughs> good stuff dude good stuff and he's the one who actually found a coupler that they used to actually attach the the um device that they were able to build so he he was actually instrumental in actually stopping the anomaly <laughs> which ironically enough um and i do want to mention about dal's timeline i really liked how janeway was telling him that about the apollo 13 mission which they had an instance where they had to like kind of think on the fly to solve the conundrum they were in. And yeah. If you don't know, like they had the the issue where they had to go into, I think, the Lunar Lander module and they had to makeshift build an air filter with duct tape to actually get them back home. So <laughs> I really liked how Janeway gave him this story. And then he like goes to work building the warp matrix. So I just thought that was really, really cool how we flashed back to that. And he actually, you know, makeshift builds a warp matrix. <laughs> and going back to the question at the very beginning, does Janeway know or did Janeway know? Janeway is the parent to this crew. And think about it as a parent. Sometimes the parent waits for the child to tell mm. what the parent already knows. Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Man. Yeah. Allow them to kind of grow into it. Bingo. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Well, let's get back to Rock Talk, where we mentioned that Gwen sends the information to Rock Talk. And man, this may have been some of the coolest slash saddest scenes I've seen in this show of we don't know how long it's been for her. Uh, they didn't really give an exact time, but I feel like it's been like it's been years, maybe. So I was on and I don't forgive me because my note taking was not great. I did this in a hurry. I forgot which website I was on. And it was this website that did a review on this episode and I didn't catch it, but I need to go back and rewatch it. But they say there was about 127 marks on a window where Rock was oh. keeping track of how long it passed in her time reality. If each mark is a day, which is reasonable to assume, that means she was alone for about four months. Wow. Well, that's not bad. <laughs> I thought not, it was much not bad longer. years, but still, four months alone on a starship you know nothing about. But I just kind of assumed it was longer because she taught herself quantum 
mechanics and computer engineering. (laughs) To me, that takes years. You would think. Well, I mean, how if you have nothing else to do and your life depends on it, you probably could do it faster. So it could have been months instead of years if you take, you know, maybe that was eight or 10 years as opposed to 127. Right. Yeah, true. Mm, mm. Yeah. And then after she was actually able to rebuild the the Matrix, she was she tried, what, 276 times to reinitialize Janeway's program. So, yeah, man, I just feel sad for that character after it was all over (laughs) because she felt so much older to me and wiser. And she may become the new science officer. So I'm curious next episode if they keep the characterization or does she revert back? I think they'll keep it based on the writing we've seen so far. But I'm curious if she will refer, you know, revert back to the scared six year old child that we've gotten so far. I think she'll keep it. I think this is a huge character change for her. I, I I can't see them. Well, I wish they wouldn't go back on all that growth that they're giving that character. Me too. Me too. I like it. I like the new character. I think I'm going to like it anyway. Yeah. And maybe we can get a Murph episode soon. That will be awesome. That's going to be ranked a five for me, I'm sure. So let's go ahead and give ratings for the episode. And I will start. I'm going to give this a five. I'm going to give this a five. (laughs) You know, my first time watching it, I thought there were plot holes that they didn't really seal, but when I watched it again, they addressed every issue I had with it. You know, it was just pieces of dialogue that they threw in that explained why they couldn't do this, why Dreadnought wasn't in everybody's timeline, or how Janeway was going back and forth. They really addressed all the concerns I had, so I'm going to give it a five. Kyle Jones, what about you, man? You know what? I'm not going to break what you just said. I'm just going to add to it and say, without a doubt, I have no problem, zero problem, giving it a five. All right. What about you, John? Well, guys, I I can't break the cycle, man. I'm I'm going to have to say five. And just strictly off of, if you can do a time episode that I enjoy, that has to be a five. (laughs) That has to be a five. But not only that, not only that. And I don't know, man, it's hard to rank these because I'm going to make a comment that I'm sure I've made on every other episode. Like this was just a classic trick episode yeah. that yeah. I am so used to that I love. Like I sit down and watch episodes of the next generation and uh, DS9, well, not DS9, DS9 more of a story arc, but like next generation TOS, like it's just a classic self-contained. There is a problem and we find a scientific way to solve it. And we wrap it up at the end. And I just love that. And then the fact that we made it all about time and it still worked has to be a five for me. Yeah. And I'll be remiss if I did not mention that the title was a play on the TOS episode of uh, Time, where Spock goes through Pumfar and goes back to Vulcan and fights Kirk. So, <laughs> yeah. So, guys, if you have thoughts on the episode... Did we miss something? Did we get something wrong? You can send that in to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. You can also use those outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, do you have any Trek trivia for this week? I do have a bit of Trek trivia. So we all know about Section 31, which was the kind of clandestine organization uh, for, for Starfleet. You know, they do the intelligence or espionage, whatever the case may be. Uh, And we have the other major 
Federation members, well, not all of Federation members, that had an organization like such. So one would have been the Cardassians. You remember what that was, Clarence? The Obsidian Order. There you go. Good job. <laughs> that wasn't a question. So the Cardassians had the Obsidian Order. Romulans had the Tal Shiar. Yep. And the Vulcans had one. Do you know what the name of the Vulcans clandestine organization is? The Kuat Malat. <laughs> <laughs> I know this wrong. I know it's wrong. Do they really? Huh. They do. Oh, wow. I do not know that, dude. Do you want to answer or leave that for the listeners? Uh, let's just answer it. I can't wait. <sighs> Let, let's have it. All right. So the Vulcans have the Vashar. The Vashar. Did they appear in a lot of episodes? Because I do not remember them at all. I do remember them mentioning, mentioning. I think it was Tuvok mentioned it in a Voyager episode. Interesting. I'm going to have to go back and look that up to be sure. I remember hearing that before. And, you know, I tried to do some research and find out. I, I hadn't heard. I know the Klingons had, you know, just kind of espionage kind of goes against what Klingons believe. Uh, and I hadn't really researched this fully, so I didn't want to include it. Uh, but the in they supposedly Klingons have what they call the Imperial Intelligence Division. Oh, wow. So I have to look that up. I know they have the Order of the Batleth, but it's not really espionage. It's just really good killers. <laughs> <laughs> they should just call them really good killers. I think that's a better name. <laughs> RGKs. Oh boy. Cool. Well, thank you for that, John. And with yes, that, we will go ahead and wrap up the episode. Again, if you want to send in feedback, you can send it to fans at discussingtrek.com or hit us up at discussingtrek on any and all social medias. Thank you for listening, guys. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.